we continue our, our studies in the life of Moses and we turn to Leviticus once again. Leviticus, someone visited an evening service a while back and the reason why she came was she heard that I was preaching from Leviticus and she said, no one preaches from Leviticus. Well, you could look online and see there are many sermons from the book of Leviticus. But you know that the law of Moses, the, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy all have to do with the life of Moses as you know, it, it, it uh, is a decision process as to uh, what passages we touch during our series. Some we've passed over. And uh, last few messages have been on the sections about the sinfulness and the defilement of sin. Chapters 11 through 15. And then chapters 16 and 17 deal with the remedy for sin, the Day of Atonement, the pointing ahead to the cross of Calvary. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's happening, especially in chapters 11 through 17, is the Lord is hedging His tabernacle. He's hedging public worship. He's commanding His people as far as how they are to worship him, how we are to worship Him publicly. But now when we come to in chapters 18 and 19 is the Lord shows us He's sovereign over our families, over our individual lives. And so He hedges our, our lives, our individual and family lives with His commands. And He shows us that He is sovereign not just over our public worship, but over our private worship and our private lives. And that's where a lot of people uh, want to draw the line and say, well, uh, does the Lord have authority over all the little, uh, seemingly little events in my individual life and in my marriage or in my family? And the answer, of course, is the Lord reigns. The Lord is sovereign over every part of our lives. If you remember, just a couple years ago, we had memorized these first five verses. Leviticus 18, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. And that's the basis for His sovereignty. I am the Lord your God. You see here, God's love and God's saving grace. Lord is His covenant name. And God, He says he's, that we're, He's your God, He's our God, not just God of all, but individually, He says here. And He says, After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. So now He's hedging our individual and family lives, not just our public worship. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord, your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. 
And what he proceeds to do in, in the rest of chapter 18 and chapter 19 is to spell out some of the sins of the nations uh, that surround Israel, particularly the, the nation of Egypt, where they dwelt, and the nations around Canaan, the Canaanites, where they're being led. And what you'll find in, in chapters 18 and 19 are uh, those defiling practices and sins that they are to avoid. Uh, notice, for instance, in verse 24 of chapter 18, "...defile not yourselves in any of these things that he mentions previously, for in all these things the nations are defiled which I cast out before you." So these sins that he records are native to the people around them. And then look at verse 27. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. And again, don't let the land, as it were, the land is alive. He personifies the land. The land, lest the land spew or vomit you not out also and when you defile it. And it spewed out the nation, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. So the Lord is saying that his judgment upon the nations is ripe. And their sins have actually been, the land is now vomiting them out as the Lord will dispossess them of their lands. And he's saying, don't you adopt the, 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 the uh, evil of the nations that I am wiping off the face of the earth. And so we'll find in chapters 18 and 19 some of these defiling practices that we are to avoid. And so really, these chapters are not dealing with ceremonial laws, but moral laws. Uh, for instance, incest was, was a, a sin before the nation of Israel was adopted, before the ceremonial laws were adopted. Adultery, um, um, idolatry, uh, child sacrifice. These are some of the defilements that are recognized uh, by the Lord here in these chapters. And these are certainly moral, revealing moral evil, not simply ceremonial laws like um, the uh, slaying of birds or, or animals or uh, wearing of particular garments. Those are ceremonial laws that have passed away, but there are moral laws here in Leviticus that are really applications of the Ten Commandments. Actually, in chapters 18 and 19, you find every single commandment, all Ten Commandments, recognized if you carefully go through these chapters. And what I have entitled the message this morning is Salvation Makes a Difference. There should be a difference between God's people and the world. And so the idea of separation is involved. Not isolation. You've heard the cliche, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be separated from the world, but not isolated from it. We are to go into the world and preach the Gospel and live out the Gospel. Not to be cloistered in monasteries and convents. God's people were being taught we're not to be like the surrounding world. We are to be unlike the surrounding world as far as our moral and spiritual lives are concerned. Holiness should characterize us not only in the church. How often we find that we can be uh, 
hypocritical, we can present ourselves to be something in public that we're not in private. Well, the Lord has dealt with our private, our public lives, chapters 11 through 17. Now He's dealing with our private lives, marriage in the family, and so on. Holiness should characterize us inside as, and outside the church. How often you've heard, well, He's, He's, He's uh, presents a holy face on Sunday, but on Monday through the rest of the week, uh, he's a different or she's a different person. Those things ought that not to characterize you and me. People should see us as Christ-like on Sunday and on Monday and through the rest of the week. But notice he says, after the doings or the deeds of the land of Egypt, after the doings of the land of Canaan, you shall not do. And the question people have is, what are the doings of the Egyptians and the Canaanites? Well, he's going to spell some of those out. And what he tells us, not just something negative, but notice he says, positively, you shall do my judgments, verse 4, and you shall keep my ordinances to walk therein. You shall, verse 5, keep my statutes and my judgments and to do so you'll live in them. They'll be life-giving. They'll be refreshing to you. And he also gives us positive statements, not just negative. And remember our studies of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, each one of them, has a precept and a prohibition. Uh, the prohibition is the nots. The, the, thou shalt nots, right? And there are eight in the prohibition form. Thou shalt, and he has several shalts in verses eight, chapters 18 and 19, are the precepts. So for every precept, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, honor your father and mother, there's a prohibition. Don't profane the Sabbath or don't uh, uh, disrespect the gray head. So for every precept, there's a prohibition. For every prohibition, there is a precept, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness. The precept is to tell the truth, to preserve your neighbor's reputation. Uh, thou shalt not steal. What's the precept? Be generous. Give to those that are in need. Be a very gracious person. And so, salvation should make a difference between us and the world. And so, a key idea here is separation. And you know, when you think about the Lord, you know, we, we know that He unites. He unites souls to Christ by salvation. He unites believers together in churches and in fellowships. He is a God who unites. But we have to remember, He's also a God that separates, that distinguishes. Remember at creation, what did He do often? He separated light from darkness. He separated day from night. He separated the earth from the seas. He separated the, the great light in the daytime, the sun from the the, the lesser lights, the moon and the stars in the evening. He separated mankind from all other creatures. We're made in the image of God, unlike every other creature. He separated the Sabbath day from the six days of the week. So God is a God who separates as well as a God who unites. And in the world, He separates the children of God from the children of the world. The seed of the woman from the seed of the serpent. We're studying that in Genesis. The, the, the Sethites, the seed of the, of the woman, of the, of the Messiah, and the Canaanites, the children of the world. And what, what the, the problem with uh, 
the, the, the uh, pre-deluge generations was they were not separating. They started to unite. The sons of God intermarried with the children of the world. And the Lord was obviously offended at that. And that was a major reason why He brought the universal flood. Because the church started to mingle with the world. Mix with the world. They were not remaining separated. They started to marry unbelievers. And God then brought the universal flood. And we read together from Second Corinthians. We should not, we should, as he says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. What fellowship hath light with darkness? And so Christians should not marry non-Christians. We have to be careful in our associations that we don't uh, lose our testimony and dilute the light of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so, you have in Leviticus 18, the Lord speaking particularly to the children of Israel representing the people of God. Keep your distance in your lifestyles. Keep your distance from how the Egyptians lived and how the Canaanites lived that are going to surround you in the in the uh, promised land. In other words, as he says later, be holy, for I am holy. The end of chapter 19. He says uh, that we are to remember that He is a holy God and we are to be holy people. And, and uh, this is a, a theme throughout God's Word. So today, how do we apply it? We don't say, well, let's be different from the Egyptians or the Canaanites. The way it would be said today is after the doings of the Americans, thou shalt not do. And we have to obviously decide what are the doings of Americans that are defiling and we ought to be separated from. Remember, we're a people saved by the Lord and we're saved from the world, but we're saved unto the people of God. Firstly, our, our salvation is a separation by the Lord. Notice how he, he hedges the statements in, in from verses 1 to 5 with, I am the Lord your God, and I am the Lord. You have three times he hedges, he, he, he uh, surrounds that, those statements about being different from the world with, I am the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying, I'm the one that has saved you. I'm the one that has bought you uh, from the slave market of sin. I have the right to dictate your lives. I have the right as your Savior, as your God, as your Lord, as one who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which you'll say in the next chapter, I have a right to direct your lives. And you have the responsibility to submit to me as the Lord. Now, Exodus in the Bible, is the grand illustration of salvation. You see it all through the Bible. When God brought His people out of Egypt, it's a picture of us being brought out of the slave market of sin, out of the, the miry pit. Over and over again, you have the Lord reminding them that He is the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And the interesting thing is, in the New Testament, the same illustration is made. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, Elijah and Moses, it says they discussed 
his decease that would take place in Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 9, you know what that word decease is? Exodus. So Jesus was saying, I'm the greater Moses. By my death, I'm going to take you out of the, the land of sin. I'm going to take you out of the slavery of sin by my death. As Moses was let out of let was 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 in the lead in Egypt. Remember the Passover; they had to make sure they slew the lambs and applied the blood. That's what kept them from being slain in Egypt. And by the blood being shed, they were free to leave Egypt. As far as God was concerned, that was the the basis of their exodus. Exodus means a way out. And Jesus was saying, by my shed blood, I'm going to lead you out. I'm the, the, the tree that, the shadow of the Exodus pictured way back in the book of Exodus. I am the Lord your God. I am the one that has saved you from slavery. And Jesus said, we're all enslaved to sin before we're converted. John 8.34 he that committeth sin is a slave of sin. You know, the deceitfulness is when a person says that I have a high hand, I'll do what I want to do, they're indicating they're slaves. They're slaves to their transgressions and their sins. They can't release themselves. We're chained by our sins, by our lies, by our lust, by our greed, by our pride. The fall of man resulted in us being enslaved to sin and especially enslaved to the father of sin, the father of lies. Jesus said to the Pharisees, John 8.44, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so, that was pretty point blank. That's not a way to make friends to say you're of the, your father the devil. But spiritually speaking, it's true that a person that is still a slave to sin is still in the camp of the serpent. And it's not until a person is brought out that he's differentiated. The Israelites were in Egypt. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. They were all one, as it were. But when God led them out, the picture of the blood being shed, that differentiated Israel from Egypt. And thank God, what differentiates us from the world is the blood of Christ, the, the salvation that we receive through His atoning life and death. God sent His Son to free us from bondage. And Jesus says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh, that's a wonderful description, isn't it, of salvation? Jesus is the greater Moses to lead us by the way of His atoning death, out of the world and into uh, the, new, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, into a, a new family, into the church, purchased by His blood. Oh, what a Savior. And so God is saying, look, I'm, I've saved you. Now I want to hedge around your personal and your family lives. And that's... What the next section is, salvation is separation from the world. Salvation is uh, a separation by the Lord alone. He's our Savior, but it's the Lord shows us that when we are saved, we are 
new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. He now adds us to the church, the body of those who call out from the world. The word church means, it's the word ecclesia, it means call out. Where are we called out from? We're called out from the world. The world is an organized rebellion against God. The world is described by lust and pride. The lust of the eyes. Like Eve, she saw that the tree was good. The lust of the flesh, that it was good for food. And the pride of life to make her wise. And that's how we live pre-Christ. We live by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. If we liked it, we took it. If if it looked good, we we consumed it, as it were. If it boosted our 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 pride, our worth, our reputation, then we went after it. We were dominated by these descriptions. But the church is separated from the Lord. We're no longer dictated by the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life by. But our eyes are upon the Lord. It's the Scripture that dictates our thoughts and our actions. It's the Lord who humbles us. He says, He that exalteth himself shall be humbled, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. The Lord Jesus, you remember, came and the Bible says that He he humbled Himself even to the death of the cross. He became a servant to save us from our sins. And so, what does he say? After the doings of the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, you shall not do. And not is, is, is uh, emphatically forward. And so you have, yes, I counted them and I circled them. You have eight, or, uh, in chapter 18, you have 30 do nots. And in chapter 19, you have 42 do nots. How do you like that? 72 do-nots. Prohibitions, in other words, of the Ten Commandments. Now, a question we ask ourselves is, how do we react when someone says, don't do something? Aren't we all like, like in, in your heart you're saying, well, what do you mean, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me I can't step on the grass? Or I can't touch that freshly painted fence? Or I can't lie. or It's just amazing. Uh, we just happened to ask our neighbors that they couldn't be taking a four-wheeler on the church's property as very young kids with two kids sitting behind them because it's dangerous. You could get hurt and we can get sued. And as they were leaving, I heard them say, he has no right to tell me what to do. I mean, that's how we react to the words of God, don't we? Many negatives, but there are many positives too. But let me just um, summarize these defilements. Remember, chapter 18, verses 24 and 27 talk about the fact that these abominations, these things that defile, have been practiced by the Gentiles. I'm just going to read to you, and let me ask you, does this not describe the deeds of the Americans? Incest, adultery, homosexuality, idolatry, fornication, polygamy, bestiality, deceit, child sacrifice, 
Oh, we might not be sending children into the arms, burning arms of gods, but we're sending them into the into the sexual revolution. We're sending the, and many of the, the the children are being aborted, not into the fire, but into the trash cans. Greed, theft, extortion, hatred, revenge, murder, abuse of the deaf. I mean, isn't it amazing? The Lord had to tell them not to abuse those that were were unfortunate. Don't abuse the deaf and the blind and the invalids. Blasphemy, Sabbath desecration, disrespect of parents, witchcraft, prostitution. Tell me, does that not sound like America? We ought not to do the deeds of Americans as we see so often in the world. The the sexual revolution, the the culture of death, the... uh, the, the, the proliferation of lusts and all kinds of expressions of lust that are just uh, commonplace today. You can't hardly turn on the front page without reading of some wicked thing that has taken place. Someone You can't even take walks anymore. In a Mon Pa Trail in Maryland, someone took a it sounds like just a trail that everybody takes. And she was murdered just to take a, a walk in a in a park somewhere is not safe anymore. And of course, we know the immodesty that is out in our land is 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 uh, is, uh, is and not just our land, but in our schools today. You feel so sorry for the young people that are just overwhelmed with so much immodesty and temptation. The Lord says, Be ye holy. Come out from among them and be separate. Give evidence that you're saved by the Lord and you're no longer in the world. The logic is, I bought you from slavery. Serve me. Love me. I loved you and I sent my Son. And don't I, shouldn't I expect love in return? and obedience. Can't you trust me with what's right and what's wrong? Abandon your sinful lifestyles. Become like your Redeemer, like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you read these precious prohibitions. Shouldn't we look at these as precious? Thank the Lord that He's keeping us from the sin that that defiles our lives, destroys marriages and families. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. And actually, when in Paul's day, he said, even the heathen didn't commit incest. Even in his day, incest was a wicked thing in the world. And remember, he had to deal with incest in the Corinthian church. A man took his father's wife. It wasn't his mother, but it was his stepmother. And he said, it's not even named in the world. Deal with this man in the church. You're going to def- you've defiled the church. And then neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister. And yet you see that Jacob did that and it cost him dearly and the poor sisters. Verse 18. Thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife. Adultery. Don't let your seed pass through the fire to Molech. Is it not clear, brother and sister? Look at verse 22. They're trying to redefine men with men and women with women. 
Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Can it be any clearer than that? And it says again in chapter 22, basically the same thing. That, we are, that a man ought not to lie with another man. It is abomination to the Lord. It is defiling in nature. And isn't it amazing he had to command them, verse 23, neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Our world has wicked imaginations, wicked inventions. And then... You see, the positive, don't we? We're separated unto God. Not just negatives. There are many positives. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself is in chapter 19 and verse 18. That's where we get that second greatest commandment. But he says, for instance, when you reap your harvest, leave some for the poor and the strangers. Be generous. He says, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying, I have the right to hedge your lives, hedge your commerce, hedge your social life, hedge your religious life. I am your God. Trust me, you need to be led. We read that we're not to steal, verse 11. Verse 12, we're not to swear by His name falsely, but we are to swear by His name truthfully. We're not to defraud our neighbor Verse 14, again, can you imagine that we need these kinds of commands? Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you will fear, you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Why would anybody be so mean to blind people and, and deaf people and invalids? It's because people don't want distractions. They don't want th- their their lives of greed and pride to be checked by the Lord putting people in the way that need our help. It's, 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 a, it's a distraction from my life of pleasure and unbridled lust. I don't want any... It's like what they're doing in nations. They're trying to, 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 uh, to wipe out um, the, the gene that, that causes... What am I trying to say? The, pardon me? Down syndrome. There are nations that have actually wiped out Down syndrome in our world. They're trying to wipe out the, the aged population because they're sapping some of our finances that we can use to, with our unbridled, for our unbridled lust and our, and our rich resources and our our life of, of greed. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. The Lord says, don't be a gossip and a slanderer. Be careful that you don't do any unrighteousness in judgment. It's an interesting verse 15. He's saying, don't respect the person of the poor, nor be careful that you don't honor the person of the mighty. When it comes to judgment, don't respect persons. Isn't it interesting, you read the book of Revelation, it's not just the rich and mighty that flee in the day of judgment. It says, in every bondman, every bondman, every slave, there are going to be poor and rich that perish. A poor person 
just because he's poor does not earn the right of salvation. Nor a rich man. You know, the disciples were amazed that the Lord said, how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God? You know, the way we're taught is it's hard for a rich man to trust Christ because he has to humble himself and acknowledge that he needs to be rich toward God and not rich toward the things of this world. But the way they looked at it back then was you could only be rich if you were favored by God. So the rich people all had to surely be favored by God. And the Lord is saying, don't be deceived. Make righteous judgment. The rich and the poor both need to be born again. And the rich and the poor both need to have justice, whether it's for or against them in the law of the land, in the, in the courts. He says, verse 17, Do not hate your brother in your heart. But he's saying, rebuke your brother and not suffer sin upon him. He's warning us, don't withhold rebuke because it's difficult, because it's, 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 it costs maybe a friendship, but be concerned for the spiritual well-being of your brother and sister and your friend. Tell them that they need to be saved because they're sinners. We should thank the person that steps in and says, you know, your, your sin, your, your iniquity is injuring you. It's injuring your marriage. It's injuring your family. It's injuring your church. But famous verse in verse 18, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why, Lord? What if it's my enemy? I am the Lord. You are my enemies. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. So if your neighbor is an enemy, oh, help us, Lord, to love them, to point them to Christ. To plead the blood. Notice the connection, verse 30, you shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. You see how they go together? The Lord's day is to be dominated by public worship, spoken of as the sanctuary. I like what, what Mr. Bonner said in the 1800s. He said, the streets should not just be empty of people wanting to do commerce. The streets should be full of people attending public worship. And that is so true. And we're finding since COVID, people are neglecting public worship. And the Lord tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And He says, be careful not to regard familiar spirits and wizards. Verse 32, is this not rare? Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. And fear thy God. And again, over and over, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Ancient of Days. Oh, that we would respect the aged as we ought. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord. Your God. And he concludes, I can hedge your businesses. Every, every area of our lives is, is, is submissive, is subject to the Lord's sovereignty. He shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. 
in meat yurt and weight in measure, just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin, just pounds, just ounces shall ye have. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. So we're separated not only from the world, but we're separated unto the Lord who is our God and our sovereign Savior. Over and over we have positives as well as negatives. Be holy for I am holy. Fear, reverence your mother and father. Keep my Sabbaths. Give willing worship. Remember the poor. Leave your gleanings. Fear your God. Judge righteous judgment. Rebuke one another for sin. Love your neighbor. Reverence my sanctuary. Honor the gray head. Love your stranger. Give accurate scales in your business. The Lord is sovereign over our lives. Thank the Lord that we have one that watches over us and directs us. He hedges about every area of our lives. We need Him, don't we? Are we subjected to the Lord? Are we submissive to His will? To His sovereign watch care, guidance, and direction? Separation is not legalism. It's obedience. Separation from the world is separation unto God. It's a walk in the Word of God. It's a walk in the will of God. It's life-giving to obey God. It's refreshing in nature. And again, chapters 11-15 to speak about our lostness, the saturation of sin in our lives. Chapters 16 and 17 were saved by the atoning work of Christ. And chapters 18 and 19 say, now have victory over sin. Have victory over sin. The sin that you're saturated in. The sin that Jesus paid for. Now He says, go and sin no more. Go and reflect Me in this wicked world. Be dry in a saturated world of sin. And then be filled with the Spirit in a world dry without God. Believe in Christ. Repent of sin. And God will give us power to live for Him in a world that's condemned, defiled, and one day going to be destroyed. Oh, may, may we let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. As it says in 2 Corinthians 7, Now I'll be separated unto the Lord. Let me close by reading that text again. He didn't just say, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. He said, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice now, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We turn from sin that we might be brought unto God. Remember it says in Peter, Jesus is the just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. Not just take us from the world but that He might bring us unto God. And so our, our holiness should be evidence that the Lord has saved us from our, our sin. Amen. Oh Lord, we thank Thee for the Gospel in Leviticus. We thank Thee, Lord, that these are ancient words with such current, uh, such current application 
O Lord, as if we're reading the New Testament here in Leviticus, to be holy as You are holy. O Lord, I thank You that You spell out sins that defile the soul and defile the family and the church. Lord, I, I, I trust that we are that we are that we are afraid to sin any longer against Thee. Lord, these sins are abominable to our souls as well as to You. Lord, we thank You that You have delivered us from from Egypt, from the world, from sin, from slavery. Lord, You haven't left us in a vacuum. You've delivered us to Yourself. You've brought us into the church of Jesus Christ. That You've delivered us unto a, a life of holiness and righteousness that makes a difference, that is differentiated from the world. Oh, may people see the life of Christ in us, the holiness of God. May they be drawn, O Lord, to Thy holiness. May the Gospel of Christ not only convict them of sin, but reveal the the glory of Christ and and the salvation that that He procures, that He gives to those who trust Him. Oh, may they see not just the fact that they're imprisoned in the prison uh, doors and the bars, but oh, let them see the freedom that is in Christ, that He can open the prison doors and set them free to a life of holiness and righteousness and joy and to the hope of eternal life. Oh, Father, bless Your Word. May we take it home. May we meditate upon these things. Pray that they're food for thought and for deed and for worship. Please help us to fulfill Your will in our lives, to walk in the Spirit, to do Your judgments and statutes, all these commands and and these guidance and these paths. Please lead us. O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.